sky so bright, just like raindrops in the window pane. When your eyes are blue, something's wrong with you. Let me kiss the love light back again. Brown eyes, why are you blue? Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers Podcast. Uh, in this podcast, I look at American writers reading about 100 pages of the Library of America's extensive collection of American writings um, at a time. Um, so I just finished up looking at Sinclair Lewis's Aerosmith. So we're going to jump right into the very next novel that, that Lewis wrote, uh, which was Elmer Gantry. Actually, apparently he wrote a short uh, little novella bef- between Aerosmith and Elmer Gantry called Mantrap, um, which was published seriously, serially in 1925, the same year that Aerosmith was published. But Elmer Gantry is the next big novel he wrote in 1927. And this one is just a fascinating work. I, I think it really should be looked at a little bit more. I, I commented on Twitter after, you know, finishing my thoughts on Aerosmith and then jumping into Elmore Gantry, how, you know, Aerosmith was about the politicization of science and medicine, which seemed very contemporary at the time, you know, with the COVID-19 epidemic and how much medical decisions were being politicized by, by people in the election year and all that. Um, and then I thought like Elmore Gantry is so much about the culture wars of, of the 1920s and how we're back into that, how, you know, I, I certainly, I think, it's very hard to legislate or do much to manage and regulate regulate like capitalism anymore. If there ever if it ever was possible, we're not going to get like a New Deal style progressivism uh, like we had in the early 20th century. You know, instead we have, we get culture wars and we get identity politics and all that stuff, which you know some of it is valuable uh, conversations to be had about people's rights as individuals. But it's a bit of a cul-de-sac in terms of really the crisis of our time, in terms of dealing with the crisis of our time. And I think the 20s were a period where American politics was very much culture wars, right? Um, The division between the city and the countryside, uh, the religious and the skeptical. And that divide, as great as it seems today, uh, I think it was just as great in the 20s, and it wouldn't be till a crisis as profound as the Great Depression that a political realignment and readjusting and, and a rethinking of what politics could be about would really be be man- manifest. But that was a 10-year kind of culture war. We're, we're kind of in a 40-year culture war nowadays in the United States, and, and you know I don't know if even a Great Depression can sort of break us out of it. But, you know... I think that's why I think I think reading Elmer Gantry just as a window into fundamentalism, religious, the religious culture of, of kind of flyover America. I guess you want to call it flyover at the time. Most people, you know, trained, you know, train through <laughs> or ride through America. Um, but that that's I don't know what the white word would be, but I think there was this. Same kind of feeling that there's the America of the cities, of the coasts, that's very urban, very secular, affluent, uh, and it sort of defines American culture. But there's this huge swath of America where we see the emergence of fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism and religious revivalism and movements like the Ku Klux Klan, which, of course, was very much framed in terms of religion 
all this is going on in the in the center of America, and it's separate from like the main action, if you will, of the of the coasts. Um, anyways, I, th- I think this novel gets to that. The novel's about a man named Elmer Gantry, who's a preacher. Um, now, like Aerosmith, we, we used to kind of start with him in school. Aerosmith starts even earlier, but we kind of jump in pretty quickly in Aerosmith to his education. And Elmer Gantry is the same kind of thing. But while Aerosmith kind of was already committed to a career of medicine, Elmer Gantry is, is a very different type of character. He he's not really has much of a plan. In fact, when we meet him in the beginning of chapter one. We meet him. He's just getting drunk with his friend. Uh, Jim Lefries. So these are our two main characters that we meet early on, Jim Lefries and Elmer Gantry. And they're roommates, they're buddies, they're at this religious school called Terwillinger College in in Kansas. Uh, they're, it's a dry county, so they have to go over to Cato, Missouri to drink. They have to cross the border to drink. It's not that far, but they have to go there. It's before Prohibition. This is set, I think, to the 1902 is when he goes to, is when the, the North story begins. Um, but Kansas, or at least the place where Toronto College is, is dry. But despite that, we when you first meet Elmer Gantry, he's drunk at the bar. And we get this wonderful scene of him at this bar in Missouri, drinking it up with, with Jim. Um, and they, they flirt with girls. They have their girlfriends. Like Jim has this girlfriend, Nellie. Elmer Gantry has this girlfriend, Juanita. And, you know... And that's, they're kind of the contradiction in this religious college. Neither of them are really theology students. They're, they're just studying, you know, at a school that happens to be religious, which happens all the time, of course. I actually taught at a religious school, right? And not, most of the students weren't there primarily out of religious devotion. They were just there to get a degree or whatever, and because the school was the best choice for them or whatever at the time. Um, but we're told that like, like academic standards aren't very good. They're like as good as a high school and I'm certainly familiar with that, too, in, in teaching high school, those kinds of schools in which, you know, the students aren't quite at the level of, of what you get at the big coastal schools, the big Ivy League schools, even the Big Ten schools. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's what you get at these kinds of small regional universities. But that's, that's, our, that's our setting early on. But we start out this bar, um, but then we quickly flip back to, after one introductory few pages, we flip back to him at Terwilliger College, and we learn about the character of Elmer Gantry. Now, Elmer Gantry, he's just like an alpha male type. He's, he's like the captain of the sports team. He kind of forces the way to be cap school, school uh, president two years in a row, even though that's against... Customs basically by bullying people. He's a bit of a bully. He doesn't really have many friends, but he kind of is popular in the sense he forces himself that way. He's very much interested in rhetoric. He he's kind of would be a good salesperson. And I guess this is a kind of a reoccurring theme. Like in Aerosmith, Lewis was dealing with this issue of, you know, how medicine was becoming just an extension of the marketplace and a commodity. I think here in Elmer Gantry, we see religion uh, being just a sales pitch. Right, like you know, convincing people that they need to convert to uh, to Christ, and is you know Elmer Gantry himself becomes susceptible to that same kind of conversion experience, and he becomes very good at it himself because he is a he's a good talker, he's good at rhetoric, he's he's a sophist. In fact, we're told he'd be a good lawyer, or a doctor, or insurance man. Uh, 
I'll, I'll read this quote for you. He regarded basketball and gymnasium antics as light-minded for f- a football gladiator. When he had come to college, he had supposed he would pick up learning of cash value to a lawyer, a doctor, or an insurance man. He had not yet known which he would become, and in his senior year, age 22 this November, he was still doubtful. But this belief he found fallacious. What good would it be in a courtroom or an operating table to understand trigonometry or to know as last spring up to the examination on European history? He remembered having known the date of Charlemagne. 800, by the way. That's the date he gets crowned. That's the... An easy date to remember in European history. So I think anyone reading this who knows that would kind of get a sense of how poor a student Elmer Gantry is. Remember it only up to the test. Another thing I'm very familiar with from, from teaching both high school and college. Uh, but he's good at rhetoric and rhetoric's what he picks up. And, and kind of a religious school is a good place to pick up rhetoric because you're surrounded by preachers. Um, now, Jim, the friend... We're also introduced to in this first chapter um, pretty extensively. Jim is, he's, he's less aloof about college. He actually has academic interests. He's interested in theology, but he's more of a skeptic, or he's definitely a skeptic. And he will confront his professors on religious aspects, on theology, ask the questions like, this kind of questions Tom Paine asks in Age of Reason. In fact, Age of Reason is a book that Jim Lefferts has on his shelf and tries to get Elmer Gantry to read. Um, but he asks questions, but he's also a drinker, plays around with girls like, like Elmer. Um, smoking, just not, the, neither of these people are the typical Terwilliger college, college religious young person trying to get a, you know, trying to get a college degree. Uh, contrasting with the faculty of Terwilliger College, with their, they're almost all ex-ministers. It's, it's very religious. Um, but they just, uh, but in this, these two people are kind of a disruptive force in a way. In fact, Elmer Gantry's nickname in college is Hellcat. He's a good athlete. He's bulky. He's popular, but without any friends. And he talks a good game. He's able to bully people. He's not really a nice guy. He certainly is a bit of a, I don't even want to say a Lothario. He plays around with girls, but he just is able to use his force of personality to talk them into sleeping with him. He's not an appealing character from early on. It's not like it's a fall from grace. It's it's the opposite. It's a it's a horrible person who becomes a preacher, and he just is able to extend his horrible characteristics into his careers of preaching because it is just sophism. It is just something about how good you are at talking and how good you are a communicator. And that's one. It's what it's Elmer Gantry's one skill. Right. He could have easily just as easily become a lawyer or a politician or some other figure like that. And I think that's the story he's trying to tell. Um, chapter one is really long, by the way. I think it's the longest chapter in the book. It must be because the, cha- the book itself is 400 pages. So four episodes we'll, we'll cover on this, but 40, 30, 33 chapters. And, and the first one is is a lengthy. It's almost 25 pages. Um, itself but anyways they decide let's go off to Cato let's get drunk let's go to the bar and Jim's like well we don't really have money and they're able to dig together a few bucks enough to get a, take a train to Cato pick up their girlfriends Nellie and Juanita get some tail and then go back to Trimolinger College and that's what they do and so we go they're back drinking and so twice we see him in, at, at the bar in this first chapter uh, same place. 
And, you know, I don't know if, I think at least Elmer sleeps with Juanita. It's, it's kind of one of these scenes, like in the movies, where the door closes and they're in the back room, but you don't actually get any details. I'm not sure about Jim. But anyways, after that, they head home. But first, they see a speaker. And the speaker is actually also a, a, a student at Trebolinger College, the president of the Trebolinger College YMCA. And his name's Eddie Fisslinger. And he's preaching on the street. Maybe. Um, anyways, he's preaching on the street. And they end up going back together on the train. And they have a they discuss religion. And Eddie is trying to basically convert Elmer to the good side. I think Jim's seen as more of a, more of a lost cause. He's too smart. He knows too well how dubious religion is. He's not the kind of person that convert Elmer, though. He's just indifferent. He's just like... He's someone of a religious background who's just sort of fallen off the, the, the cart a few too, few, few too many times. So he's salvageable, right? And so Eddie's trying to convert him. And he says certain things, Elmer says certain things that basically convinces Eddie that, that he is on the path to redemption, if you will. Um, now, but I think what's more appealing to Elmer than the conversion experience itself, I, I think Elmer is kind of indifferent to it. it. It's it's like his culture. It's not like it's foreign to him. It's just he's not really practicing the religious life. Um, he's not a good Protestant Christian from Kansas. He's he's just someone culturally of that background, right? But he's attracted to like the rhetoric. He's attracted to the persuasion of it. Quote, Eddie Fisslinger, the human being he despised, he considered him a grasshopper and with satisfaction considered stepping on him. But Eddie Fisslinger, the gospeler, fortified with just such a pebble leather Bible, bookmarks of fringe silk and celluloid smirking from the pages, as his Sunday school teachers had wielded when they assured him that God was always creeping around to catch small boys in their secret thoughts, this armored Eddie was an official. And Elmer listened to him uneasily, never quite certain that he might not yet find himself a dreadful person leading a pure and boresome life in a clean frock coat, end quote. So what's appealing to him is like this as a career. Um, but anyways, they get back to Terminology College. It's Gerschmacher Springs is the name of the town that they get off at. Um, and Elmer goes away thinking he's kind of made progress in converting Elmer Gantry to the good life, to the to to Jesus. That's chapter one. It's a really long chapter, but it really does a good job of setting up these characters, who they are, their motivations, especially Elmer Gantry. And his best friend, his roommate, Jim. Jim Lefries, who's a very different type. He's an intellectual skeptic. Um, Elmer Gantry's just, he wants to live a life of pleasure, and he's going to do it. And whether... You know, he's, he's indifferent to his job, too. It's like, I could be a lawyer, I could be a doctor, I could be a salesperson, probably be a good salesperson, good politician, or preaching is just as good, use of his talents. I think he it's, it's rather an indifferent choice for him. Um, his conversion, what he is, is always what other people project on him and see in him uh, through their, through their, uh, through their desires, right? Like, they're the ones who sort of recruit him to say, well, why don't you go to seminary and, and become a preacher? Okay, anyways, in chapter two, a lot of chapter two is about Terwillinger, kind of the, the faculty at Terwillinger, the leaders there, the students thinking, oh, we can get Elmer Gantry. 
we can convert them. And so they start having prayer sessions. They start uh, directing him. And if you've ever been at a, a university with a strong, like, navigators group, I don't know if they still are still active or they got a new name, but, you know, student religious groups. And you, this happened to me, right? I was actually a Lutheran, but I was kind of falling all away, you know, my first couple years of college. But, you know, I, you know, I go to a new town, living in the dorms. I meet some of these religious groups. Um, and they start to say, oh, you're one we can convert. And they start inviting you to, to their events or whatever. Here it's like the YMCA is kind of the agent of, of, of converting young men. That's, of course, a major institution in American life at this time. Um, and he just becomes the target of these kind of religious efforts, people praying for him and all that. Jim, meanwhile, uh, is kind of the odd man out because he's the unbeliever. In fact, people mock his unbelief. Um, so we have this little moment here. I kind of like Jim. Jim is, Jim is, uh, I'm, I'm familiar. Jim is the kind of person who's intellectualized disbelief and is kind of proselytizing it in a way is aware of it, is, is actively questioning, as opposed to a lot of people who are just indifferent to religion, maybe. And that's like Elmer. Uh, so I kind of recognize Jim. I recognize Elmer, too. I, I recognize a lot of these characters just f from life. Um, but anyways, what do we have here? A dreadful young woman from Mexico, Missouri, used to coax Jim to tell his funny ideas about religion and go off to nice of pious laughter while she choked. Oh, you're just too cute. You don't mean a word you say. You simply want to show off. She had a deceptive sidelong look, which actually promised nothing whatsoever this side of the altar, and she might, but for Jim's struggles, had led Elmer into an engagement. Unquote. Uh, you know, the way he gets, sort of gets mocked for his disbelief that no one in this culture can believe someone could not, could be un, un, non-religious outside of a, a lark, right? Or outside of just being in a, a troublemaker. Uh, we also get a little bit on Elmer's background, and we learn more about his religious background, that his mother is extremely religious. She was raised in the church. You know, this is, these are all Baptists. So he's kind of raised in this Baptist church. His mom's super religious, but also very worried about him because of his lifestyle. And, and she's praying for him all the time. So it's not a big leap for Elmer to kind of become religious. It's kind of a born-again experience, sort of, in, in Elmer's case. Um, but there's a lot of anxiety over Elmer's soul, not just from his home, but in the the university overall. Meanwhile, Jim is working desperately to try to keep Elmer skeptical, uh, actually reading to him Thomas Paine, and he's kind of seeing him kind of fall into religion. And no, I, I think on some level, Jim knows the kind of person Elmer is, that he's a persuasive person. He's someone who can command an audience. And that kind of freaks out Jim too, because it's like, if just someone becoming religious is not a big deal, but someone of Elmer's nature who could become religious could be a dangerous person, could actually lead others to religion, which would be even more horrible. And Jim's sort of losing his friend, too, and he's kind of anxious about that. So this gets us to chapter three. Chapter three is another re relatively long one, but um, it, it basically hovers around uh, Tremontre College's annual prayer week, uh, and the big kind of speaker, the person who comes in for this is the state secretary of the YMCA, um, a man named Judson Roberts, who's called like old Judd. Um, and R Judson Roberts. So 
he's kind of officially important in the YMCA, but he's also like a great speaker, a great preacher. And it's like people must have told him about Elmer because he's Judd's old Judd seems very interested in Elmer and trying to convert him and, you know, really get his claws into him. So this whole chapter revolves around prayer week and there's a lot of different religious influences on Elmer. Like his mother comes to visit just passing through for, for a while. Um, old Judd really targets him. And we see Jim kind of desperately trying to hold on to his friend and, and someone who will be skeptical and not fall into what Jim sees as a bunch of hooey, a bunch of woo-woo nonsense. Um, but he's losing. He's losing this battle because of social pressures. And, you know, I think what's going on here is, I mean, the kind of person Elmer is, is he's not intellectual. He's not thoughtful. What he responds to is being popular and, and attention. And, you know, when powerful people and important people pay an interest in him, he's, that inspires him and that interests him more than, you know, a book. You know, what can Jim do? Jim can give him The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine, but there's no way Elmer's going to read it. You know, we, it's actually said at one point that the only thing he really read, read that had any much of an impact on him were like the McGuffey readers. And if you know anything about U.S. history, these were standard kind of Protestant Christian readers, like early readers that were very popular in the end of the 19th century into the early 20th century. Uh, just a set of readers and they would, you know, speeches by politicians, you know, national heroes like George Washington, a lot of stories from the Bible, you know, they're really interesting to read if you want to know about kind of education in that period of time. Uh, I used to teach parts of this, a selection of these um, sometimes. My students hated it, but you know, I stand by. I think they were a useful source for getting into the, the heart, the mind of Americans at the time. But anyways, my point is Elmer is a social person and that's why he likes bars. That's why he likes playing around with girls. That's why he likes being in the, the school president, the, the class president. That's why he likes sports. It's he can be the center of attention and he kind of feeds off of that, which is something Jim can't really offer him. So this is why I think his conversion experience is as much of uh, him falling into the, the social attention he's, he's getting. So chapter three really revolves around this prayer week and his coming conversion. Um, the climax of this chapter is kind of a, basically a big fight between the two. If I can find it. Yeah, really about uh, Jim realizing he can't be really Elmer's friend anymore because of Elmer's right, entrance into the society, like almost a cult, right? It's, it's like if your friend joins a cult. Uh, so this is on page 529 of the Library of America version of, of this, this book. It's got three, this book, by the way, has three Lewis novels, Aerosmith, Elmer Gantry, and Dowsworth. I'll cover them all um, in these, these episodes. Quote, it was after one. Surely Jim would be asleep. And by next day, there would be a miracle. Morning always promises miracles. He eased the door open, holding it with a restraining hand. There was a light and a washstand beside Jim's bed, but it was a small kerosene lamp turned low. He tiptoed in, his feet squeaking. His tremendous feet squeaking. Jim suddenly sat up, turned up the wick. He was red nose, red eyes, and coughing. He stared and unmoving by the table. Elmer stared back. Jim spoke abruptly. You son of a sea cook, you've gone and done it. You've been saved. You've let them hornswoggle you into becoming a Baptist witch doctor. I'm through. You can go to heaven. 
Ah, oh, say now, Jim, listen. I've listened enough. you got nothing more to say. And now you listen to me, Jim said, and he spoke with tongues for three minutes straight. Most of that night they struggled for the freedom of Elmer's soul, with Jim not quite losing, yet never winning. As Jim's face had hovered at the gospel meeting between him and the evangelist, blotting out the vision of the cross, so now the face of his mother and Judson hung sorrowfully and misty before him, a veil across Jim's pleading. Um, so that's the end of it. Uh, that's the end of that friendship. And, and he chooses the church. He chooses religion. Um, he breaks up essentially with Jim. At one point telling him to basically F off. That he's going to pursue this uh, conversion experience. It doesn't, his life doesn't change. He's still the same kind of odious alpha male type. And, and that's kind of, of course, the theme of the novel, that the conversion experience does nothing to change his, who he is. But Jim has nothing more to do with him. He leaves him a note. I shall live at the College Inn for the rest of the year. You can probably get Eddie Fitzlinger to live with you. You would enjoy it. It has been stimulating to watch you try to be an honest roughneck. But I think it would be almost too stimulating to watch you become a spiritual leader, end quote. And that's, that's that. That's the end of that relationship. Um, so that brings us into chapter four. So they, uh, everyone urges him. Jim's out of his life, so now there's nothing to really stop him from basically falling into the, the ministry because that's what people urge for him. They see him. They, you know, that's his skill. His skill is speaking. His skill is dominating the room, right? Again, you've known these people who don't really want to hear other people talk, that just want to hear themselves talk. That, uh, but sometimes they can be persuasive people. Sometimes they can command that audience, and they can be they can be very powerful personalities. It's that that's that that alpha type of personality, and people who know what makes a good preacher see this and say, "Yeah, we want to we want this guy." And everyone starts to convince him. Eddie, the president of the school, the dean of the school, his mother, everyone is saying, "You got to go into the you know the ministry," and it's something really attractive to him. Um, you know, at one point, Lewis writes, quote, but to lose the chance to stand before thousands and stir them by telling them about divine, divine love and the evening and morning star. If he could just stand it till he got through the theology seminar and was on the job. Then if any Eddie Fisslinger tried to come down to his study and breathe down his neck, throw him out by golly. So what's attracting to him is the, the job, the, the idea of being, a, you know, a in command of an audience. In fact, if this was a different novel and it's about him becoming a politician, it'd be really, really scary, right? That someone goes into politics. I mean, I'm sure most people who go into politics on some level are this type. But, you know, someone who's totally cynical, going into politics, interested only in, like, controlling the masses, right? It's a dangerous kind of person. Um, now, in this chapter, we start to get also the first hinting that we're really getting into fundamentalism that that this culture this this midwestern baptist culture is highly highly fundamentalist right uh something that's not really a gantry thinks much about he doesn't think about theology for him theology is just something he needs to get through to be the preacher to to give the speeches right but this is a culture of fundamentalism right uh what do we got here this is um He's, he's t talking to someone about religion, 
and he says, the, the guy he's talking to, I think it's a teacher. Those refer purely to spiritual and symbolic flying. No, no, never does to oppose the clear purpose of the Bible. And I could dig you out a hundred texts that show unquestionably that the Lord intends us to stay right here on earth till that day when we shall be unpraised in the body with him. Um, you know, as he starts to learn more and more about what actually is in the books and how they're understood by these Baptist ministers, it's it, we're really aware that we're into this realm of fundamentalism. There's hints of it throughout the early part of this book too. You know, like Jim tries to question parts of the Bible and the response is kind of, well, it's in the Bible, right? It's what it says is true, right? Now, if you don't know fundamentalism, it doesn't necessarily mean literalism. There are biblical literalists, but it's hard to really take seriously because there are metaphors in the Bible uh, and you almost have to not take those literally. So like Quranic literalism is more of a thing, I guess, you know, because that's the literal word of God, right? Even Christians realize that these are inspired texts, not, not the direct word of God. So there's not as much literalism as you get maybe in the Islamic tradition. But fundamentalism is a real thing. And what it is is that there's basically some beliefs, some basic beliefs that are unquestionable, right? Like obviously the resurrection and, and the Trinity or, or whatever. Certain aspects of the Bible that are fundamental. That's where the word fundamentalism comes from. And it really emerges in the 20s. Yeah, so this is a little bit early before like the movement called fundamentalism emerges, but we, we'll get into it later in the novel as well. So chapter four is uh, mostly about him kind of moving into his career as a preacher. Chapter five is set mostly in his education at seminary, and he's just as bored as he was in at Terwillinger College. It's not any more interesting for him. And he kind of stays into the same patterns of his sinful life. Um, quote, during his second year of seminary, just finished, he had been more voluminously bored than ever at Terwillinger. Constantly he had thought of quitting, but after his journeys to the city of Monarch, where he was in close relationship to fancy ladies and to bartenders than one would have desired in a holy clerk, he got a second wind in his resolve to lead a pure life and so managed to keep on towards perfection as symbolized by the degree of Bachelor of Divinity. So with that, we realize he has sort of graduated. He's got graduated. He's become uh, a minister. He's entered the ministry. Now, he's occasionally tested by people who talked with him about his beliefs, you know, things like adult baptism. That's, of course, a thing that the Baptists take very seriously. Um, and again, Elmer Gantry is not someone who really cares one way or another. It's just what he's, what he's taught is, is what he says is, is, is true. Um, so, in a way, you know, I, I sometimes think about this, you know, I don't know if there was ever seriously, there was a chance when I was young that I would have gone into seminary. I was pretty religious when I was, even up through high school. You know, I don't know if it would have been good for me because I'm more academic, right? I'd probably be likely to give sermons about Kierkegaard or something, um, or, or Augustine or some kind of theolog theological stuff that would totally bore my audience, right? And, of course, obviously I didn't maintain belief. But, you know, someone of indifferent belief who's just a good speaker, who, who can turn a phrase, I mean, that's a dangerous and powerful kind of person, right, I think. And, and Elmer Gantry is a model of that, certainly. See, see lots of evidence of that in, in these, these chapters. Um, so into chapter 6... Uh, we were reintroduced to Winnemac, 
um, Winamac is, it's kind of where he goes for his first um, kind of, his kind of final in training uh, before getting his, his, his calling and, and to get a church of his own. But he goes to Winamac. Um, Winamac, remember, is this made-up state that, that Lewis made up after Main Street. I think people complained about Main Street being picking on people you know he was too mean to the town so he made up a town right uh and that was where a lot of aerosmith was set here but not most of it but quite a lot of it here he will kind of return to winnemac right which is like a state that's northern like if you were to cut out northern ohio and part of michigan and make a state there that's where winnemac is you know there's still ohio still michigan it doesn't replace those states it's just kind of cut out from these these areas um but that's uh, where he's, as an ordained uh, Bachelor of Divinity, but he's kind of doing his last year of work, which is kind of more, uh, I guess, field work, I guess, or student teaching, the equivalent of student teaching, I guess, for, for a minister. And what's clear in this chapter is his theological training did nothing to change his, his drives and his, his base or desires. He still drinks, he still smokes, he still chases girls. Um, you know, Juanita is still very much on his mind. He, he goes on dates and stuff. So he's not like changing his personal life at all. And this is going to lead to the first real crisis in the novel. In fact, his, his ultimate expulsion from, from the ministry before he's in it that long. Uh, we'll get to that in, in the next episode, I'm sure. Um, but for now, it's just, it's, it's kind of a shadow overhanging his entire experience uh in in winnemac but nevertheless he still gets his first church and that brings us to chapter seven the last chapter i want to look at today is he finally does get his uh church in fact he's he's approached uh by by the dean um of of this theological seminary they studied at and he says he says i you know I got an appointment with which you will give you experience and a little money. It's a county church down in Schlonheim, 11 miles from here on the Spur region of Ontario, Omaha, and Pittsburgh. You'll hold regular Sunday morning services and Sunday school. If you're able to work up afternoon and evening services, a prayer meeting, so much the better. The pay will be $10 a Sunday. If there's to be anything extra work, it's for you and your flock. Um, so he just says, this is a job for you. But he has this warning. Now, boys, this is just a small church, but never forget, it's a priceless souls I'm entrusting to your keeping. And who knows but that you may kindle just such a fire as may one day illuminate all the world, providing, Brother Gantry, you eliminate the worldly things I suspect you of indulging in. So he gets his first church and his first job, essentially, but there's already a feeling among even his superiors that they, they know he's not like, you know, he's not converted spiritually in, 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 his, in his life and his habits yet but anyways it's 1905 he's finished seminary he's finished college and he's on his way to his first posting and he he very quickly meets with this girl lula lulu, lulu? yeah lulu i guess her name is yeah l l l u l u um and he starts kind of flirting with her and and you know and that's another I think that's a just a existential danger of, of being a preacher, right? You're you're talking with people's intimate lives, you you're trying to inspire them, you know. It can be an attractive uh, 
person and he's single and of course it's a good job too it's 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 kind of marriageable so it's kind of a good job for someone like Elmer Gantry to, 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 to chase girls from. Um, and we see hints of that here early in this chapter. We also get a lot more about this kind of fundamentals culture he's a part of, even if he's indifferent to the actual theology of it all. Uh, for instance, uh, he's having this conversation with uh, uh, a Mr. Baines. Say, Brother Gantry, what Baptist paper do you like best for home reading? I've tried the Watchman Examiner for a while. But I don't. But don't seem to me it lambasts the Kempelites like it ought to, or it gives the Catholics what for like a er, real earnest Christian sheet ought to. I started talking the word and the way. Now there's a mighty sound paper that doesn't mince matters none, and written real elegant, just suits me. It'll tell you straight out from the shoulder that if you don't believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection, atonement and immersion, then it'll make no difference about your so-called good words and charity and all that. Because you're doomed and bound to go straight to hell. And not no make-believe hell either, but a real gosh-awful turbo bed of sure enough coals. Yes, sir. This is actually Lulu's father, right? Um, Lulu Baines. Sister Baines, as she's often called here. So, um, yeah, I think I'll, I think that's enough. I, I think you get the idea of this novel, uh, where it's kind of going. Uh, at this point, we're in kind of a high point for... Elmer Gantry. He's got a job. He might have a girl. He's, uh, of course, he kind of moves pretty fast on uh, Lulu. Doesn't 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 concern himself too much to marry first. Uh, that's going to be the first crisis that we'll see in the next episode. But um, I'm having a lot of fun with this novel. I think it's it's really interesting, and I, I think it's in some ways Errol Smith is a little bit. Uh, I guess it lacks like a personality like like Elmer Gantry. He's not a nice person. He's not the kind of person you actually want to be around, but he's described and he, he comes to life so strongly in this book that it's a lot of fun to kind of follow him as he kind of fumbles his way through life a little bit, uh, even though he's the, he's the type that kind of lands on his feet all the time um, because of his strength of kind of personality and strength of will. Um but yeah, this first quarter of the novel kind of covers his education and his seminary training and his conversion and his, his first church uh, in a small town in the middle of nowhere. But you got to start somewhere, right? And, and we'll see where that takes him. Pretty quickly, it's going to take him to bad places. So he's not going to, his first stage as a minister is not going to be successful. But to get that whole story and my thoughts about that part of the novel you'll have to join me next time as i cover uh part two of elmer gantry i think if you're reading along uh it'll be chapters eight through chapters 14 uh will will be the next episode uh, yeah um so that'll be it for now if you read elmer gantry if you're one of the lucky ones who have been exposed to this novel let me know what you think of this story um do you have anything you want to add do you you know how do you feel about it? I'm really curious to to know what you think of it. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. I'll have more to say about this novel in future episodes. But for now, that'll be it. Uh, thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Begin, disappearing like the April snow. why are you blue? Brown what can I do? Don't keep the sunshine off of your 
wine. You 